What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Keeping Stock Sneaker Podcast. I'm your host, Julian. And in today's episode, our guest throws out a ton of gems for sneakers, finance, real estate, and much more. Conversation flew by, and I'm excited to have this guest on the show. Before we hop into today's interview, I just want to remind you that Keeping Stock is a weekly sneaker podcast with new episodes every Sunday on your favorite podcast platform. So if you do enjoy today's show, make sure to follow or subscribe on your favorite platform, and let's get into it. The sneaker community and culture has a variety of layers and multiple cross-sections interacting with a large financial picture. Today's guest has utilized sneakers to create a sound foundation that has allowed him to diversify his financial opportunities and seek multiple new avenues for sources of income, amalgamating sneakers, real estate, finance, and more with a global audience of 68,000 subscribers and growing on YouTube. Welcome to the show, fellow Portland resident, Darren, DJ Sneakerhead, Willingham Jr. of the DNA Show and Hobby to Hustle. DJ, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How you been? I'm doing good, man. This PDX heat is uh, is going to catch up to me, but you know, the thing I wanted to, to start out here is I saw your recent video of the Grateful Dead Dunks. Oh, yeah. And I wanted to, to hear your opinion in regards to the hype around dunk culture right now. Well, it's crazy because I was telling my friend the other day, like I used to have all these SBs that were, you know, maybe worth a couple hundred bucks or something. And at the time, that was a lot of money. And, you know, I sold them seven years later. You see now and it's like they're going for like six, seven, ten times the amount of money that they were worth back in the day. And then like all the new releases are crazy hyped right now. We've seen a lot of trends basically just from Travis Scott alone because whatever he wears, the value just immediately goes up. I think that Nike Air Force One is going to be the next big trend over the next two years. And people went from Jordan 1s to Dunks and then to Forces. And all three of those shoes alone are just instant classics. So there's every like 10 years, there's always these waves. And you remember back in like the Nelly times and the eras of when Air Force Ones were dope. I feel like it's about that time again. So I feel like if you can hold on to Air Force Ones or get some good ones while you can for a good price, some ones that you think are going to be classics, they're probably going to be worth something a year or two from now. I think that's a valid opinion, especially in the fact we're seeing that transition to more lifestyle where those celebrities, as you mentioned, as Travis Scott wearing these more lifestyle and the Dunks or Air Force Ones, maybe even Blazers Mm -hmm. coming back into the rotation as performance shoes have changed so much from when you look at the first Jordans, obviously the first LeBrons to now this highly performance based shoe that almost strictly on court, you can pull it off off court, but it's a little bit more work. And some people are looking for that easy slip on like a nicely color blocked Air Force One and the simplicity of that silhouette. Especially like a lot of people always say like, can you wear these with jeans? And it's like, there's certain basketball shoes you just cannot wear with pants at all. Okay, well, that's not really that versatile. So if I'm going to get my bank for my buck and want to be able to wear my shoes and pull off an outfit or something, I need something that's solid, simple, and clean. <laughs> exactly. I think that question always comes up and leather-based shoes and silhouettes are always very simple to pull off. I mean, these Grateful Dead dunks have been surprising and the values that they're reaching with that fur texture on the shoe to see where people are actually pulling these off. I think SB right now is, at that stage where you're getting these pieces as like art and there's certain shoes that it's just like, you don't even plan on wearing it. It's just super dope. The concept behind it, 
And now it's just like almost an art piece. Like you just have it for your collection. And you display it saying that you have it more than actually buying it to wear for functionality. That's a fantastic point. And I think another great example of that is the Dior's that just came out for two stacks reselling for ten to $15,000 where I think the people who are going to keep those in some regards may wear them, but that is a, a piece of art representing streetwear culture and basketball culture and that designer brand interconnecting. Mm-hmm. And I have to ask you, DJ, talking as works of arts of shoes and sneakers, you've had the luxury of handling and buying a lot of player exclusive or just exclusive Jordans over your time. How did it get to the Mm -hmm. point where you're able to acquire those types of shoes and those values? Obviously, they've been inflated over time, but even back when you were buying them, they were still approaching, you know, $800, $1,000, $1,500. It was really just reaching out initially and saying, hey, I'm interested in this. And that's what I kind of take that same strategy towards basically everything in life. If I'm interested in something and I feel like I'm passionate about it, I'm going to let people know. I'm not going to hide it and be like, just tell my friends or something. I'm going to let the world know like, hey, I'm interested in this. You know, if somebody's willing to help me or put me in the right direction, let me know. And then because you never know who's watching the same type of situation. I just started letting people know, like, I want to get samples. I want to get exclusive sneakers. And then people start reaching out and say, oh, I know somebody or or here's somebody's phone number or, oh, you should have told me a long time ago. I already knew this guy and he could have hooked you up. And I was like, great. This is a prime example of me just reaching out and letting people know what I'm interested in. And because of that, me opening up allowed me to meet more people, grow. And then next thing you know, you don't have to worry about looking anymore because it's all going to start coming to you because everybody knows you as the sneaker guy or whatever. So they're just going to want to sell it to you and want to give you deals and say that they even sold to you just to be happy that they sold to me. Right. And I think that's kind of a a mindset if you transition it to an early stage of a business in some regards. A lot of people who are collecting sneakers don't understand that that work going through to create a network, create the quote unquote plug is creating a business for yourself, Mm -hmm. whether it's you selling products to them or you're grabbing products and garnering them. From that experience, is this when you started to, if we take it back, utilize some of your connections and your knowledge of sneaker culture at the time to start flight school shoes? That originated from high school because I was so passionate about growing my sneaker collection once my foot started. I was a 10 and a half my freshman year and I was a 13 by my (laughs) sophomore year of high school. My foot was just growing crazy and I'm still 5'2", 5'3". Like my body shaped (laughs) like an L, literally just body and feet like the worst. You know what I'm saying? Like the girls are taller than me, like just the struggle. But my foot's finally stopped growing. I'm a size 13. And I'm like, okay, I think this is my size. So when so- sophomore year hit, I was like, okay, I'm going to start buying shoes now again. And I'm going to start getting all the stuff that I want. And then by by my first year, I had already got 100 pairs of shoes in my collection. And then everybody at school was like, yo, you always got fresh kicks on. Like, you wearing a new pair of shoes damn near every day. Like, all this stuff. And I'm like, uh, yeah, you know, I just, I just want to have dope shoes. I want to get all the things that I want. And then people are like, you should wear a new pair of shoes every day, your whole senior year. So I wore a brand new pair of shoes every single day, my entire senior year of high school. And I had so many shoes. I was just cycling through stuff. And then it became like, yo, can I buy those? Like, what's up? Can you get me a pair? Like, you got everything. And I was like, all right, for sure. I got you. I'll help you, I'll help you out. You know, just give me like 20 bucks or something. I can make some money off of this. So I started like flipping, doubling, tripling my money, buying like multiple pairs. 
selling them all, keeping one for myself, keeping the profits. And now I got a free shoe because I done took all my profits from the other three pairs that I sold, put it towards the money that I spent on my pair. And now it's free. So I was doing that and it was just stacking, doubling, tripling. And next thing you know, it's like I got hundreds of pairs of shoes by the time I'm getting out of high school. And that's why I was like, I need to start a website and start bringing in inventory, bringing in other people's stuff, selling for them. So that way I don't have to put any money out, but I can just make a cut for helping other people sell their shoes. And then also like finding shoes for other people as well. Wow. I mean, in an organic nature from a passion for shoes, turning that into almost your friends engaging you to create that, the flipping and understanding the profits there. I have to ask in high school though, I'm sure trying to wear a new pair of shoes every day in some regards may have been difficult or to acquire, just be in the mood as a high schooler to find a new pair of shoes to put on. Did you have a personal favorite from your time in high school, whether it was a colorway or a silhouette that you enjoyed wearing the most? So for me, that's when you could buy, you know, I shop at the employee store, so I get everything half off. I'm buying Air Force Ones for $44. So I'm getting some dope Air Force Ones for 44 bucks. So it's easy to rock a new pair of forces, any new colorway or whatever that just released because there's always dropping new colorways every other week or something. So I'm always like rocking those and I'm like, yo, I really like forces, but they're kind of clunky and they be creasing. So I don't really know how I feel about that. And obviously I had loved Jordan. So like anytime I had to get any pair of Jordan 6s, like that's my favorite model. I didn't care what color it was. I just wanted to wear that model in general. Like, I didn't even care. I got so addicted where I was like, my friend was just talking about this the other day. He was like, bro, remember when you completed every single retro for all the colorways? Yeah, bro. I remember I was addicted. Like, I would literally go like Air Jordan 3. I want every single colorway that's came out to this point. And I'll go Air Jordan 4. I want all the colorways. Jordan 5, I want all the colorways. So I'd be sitting in my room with like 27 different pairs of Jordan 5s, all the different colors everything, each generation, all the retros, you name it. And then I don't even need to be doing all this. That's when I got older and realized like, I don't need to have this many shoes. I think that's a funny uh, segue there and sheer volume of shoes. That's, as you mentioned, a lot of shoes, let alone four at that time, you know, in high school, I assume that you're at your parents' place. So we all know that limit where you're starting to just stack up shoes around your room, cutting into your square footage. You're looking around right. and you're saying, wow, I haven't seen this colorway in a while. Wow, I forgot I own these, which is a weird thing that's very common in sneaker culture. But outsiders always look at it as like, bro, you got way too many shoes in here right now. And it would be like the back wall and then a wall in front <laughs> of that wall. Every other wall was covered in shoes. We had to open up one of the walls and create a new closet to expand my room and my parents' house. Like, it was just, and then it started flooding out into the hallway and it was just so many shoes everywhere. Uh, that's when I had got to the point where I had a, I had a master plan for all of it by the time I had became like 21 years old. But at the time it was just like, just overflow. Cause I had, by then, like I had already had owned over a thousand pairs of shoes just in my personal collection, but I was always trying to stay around like 500 to 700 pairs. So that way I could still just have them in uh, reach to be able to get to them. With that volume, right, and you're starting this business at that point, you're flipping shoes and it sounds like you're working in the rule of tens where you're slowly starting to understand if I put, I'm putting in so many hours for a $160 shoe, if I put in that same amount of work to get one shoe that is going to give me a profit of $800 or $900 for the same amount of work, I'm going to start pursuing that. 
And so in your business experience mm-hmm. with flight school, what were some of the big learning points for you as an entrepreneur at that time? It was a huge rush because it was an idea that happened to become like this thing. And it was like, I wouldn't say it was on accident because, you know, everything just happens for a reason. But it was always like, you know, I'm going to I'm going to open up a shop or I'm going to have like a website or something once I get out of college. Because, you know, before you go to college, you think of like you do everything in college to prepare for the real world. So I'm thinking like, oh, this will be after college type thing. Freshman year of college, it's already popping off. I'm making a bunch of money and I'm like, I don't even want to go to college. I don't want to do this stuff because I made it. You know what I'm saying? Like I already know what I'm doing. And then it was the hard part because I was never able to put my all into it because I had school, I have football, and I had to try to run a business. And I'm like, in my mind, also thinking like, I want to train and become an NFL athlete and, you know, go to the next level. So I was so committed to those things. It was hard to just put everything into flight school. And I think for me, it was like, I should have made a decision to either go one or the other, but I always like try to juggle things. And if I could have, I would have probably brought on more people onto my team and not just stress myself out so much by doing everything myself. I think that's an excellent learning opportunity. And I think there's some value in trying and participating at a very high level in all of those things, whether it's, you know, high level of college football, high level of uh, your business or in school. Learning how to multitask is something I'm sure that's benefited you beyond what I can comprehend at this point in time in your other ventures. When you look at that experience from understanding, okay, you know, I've made it and maybe this is small picture. What put you on to understand the larger financial gateways that you can break down now that you're starting to make an income with your sneakers? Because as a fellow African-American, not a lot of people besides parents and our family are going to teach us how to pursue larger financial goals and go beyond what is the norm for our society. So what was that next step that pushed you to say, hey, this sneaker business is great, but I think I can use this money to try out some other financial investments or opportunities to create another source of income. I come from two different worlds, white and black. The white side of my family, they're not like rich or nothing, but they're solid. They understand the concept of generational wealth, putting things together, passing things down. And then the black side of my family comes from the city, come from the streets, you know, got it from the mud type thing, literally completely opposite. So I get to see both sides of the world. And I always had that vision of like, okay, I'm going to do this. And that's what I was saying before. When, once I got to that point where I started making money, I was like, okay, originally I was just going to try to make money so I could buy a new car because I wanted to get like the new Nissan uh, 350Z. Like, back in the day, like that was a cool car. And I'm like, you know, that was like the Tokyo Drift joint. Like everybody wants that car. So I was like, I want this car. And then I got to the point where I was like, no, that's not a smart idea. I need to get a house. So when I turned 21, I was like, you know what? I'm about to buy a house. Like I done already made over a hundred and some thousand within like nine months. And I just started this business. I'm doing all this stuff. And I got slapped in the face real quick when they was like, yeah, honestly, you don't got no proof of income. Like I don't have enough time under my belt with the business to show like two years of statements and all these different things. So like, you're going to have to find a way to like, almost like wholesale your way into buying a house and, you know, take over somebody else's foreclosure or something like that. So I only had one option and I found this dude that was uh, about to lose his house. And I I gave him an offer and I was like, Hey, you know, I'll pay you, 
I'll pay you some money to cover all your debt. I'll take over the loan. Like everything be good. Now I can get into the house, get a cosign or something like that. And the guy ended up not going through with the deal and I couldn't get the house. And from that day on, I was like, yo, I got to prepare myself so that the bank, that the credit unions, that all this stuff, essentially what it is, is what the man does to win. And for us, we don't know that because we see it from a different angle and we got to win on paper. And that's what we got to do. So I need to set myself up to win on paper, to get approved, to let them give me all the things that I want, because that's how they win their games. They win on paper. So it makes sense. Okay, now I got to go do these things. And then from then, it took me like a year or two to get everything on track, taxes and you name it, just getting everything in order. And then by then I was ready to go. I was like, cool, I'm ready to cop some cribs. And then that's when I got out of college and I started buying houses and doing everything because it was just too hard to try to find houses to buy while I was in school, while I was running a business, while I was trying to play football. It was just too much trying to find a house out of town. Yeah, I definitely applaud your efforts because... I, in college, worked two jobs outside of basketball, but nowhere to the sheer volume of understanding money of that value to buy a home and the the closing process and escrow and all of those things. And I think, listeners, right now, you just got a ton of game in a span of two minutes and, you know, we're halfway through this. And I think those are super valuable things is understanding and asking the question comes down to me, why not me? You know, I see so-and-so doing this with their money and they're doing this way to create their streams of income. Why can't I utilize what I've done, either selling shoes or using a portion of my budget for shoes for another income stream? And DJ, I know you've opened a second YouTube channel or you've had a second YouTube channel focusing on these topics. Where did the interest for YouTube kind of peak for you? It's funny because when I started flight school, I had actually started a YouTube channel too. And I wanted to be, because back then it was like all these OG reviewers. And I was like, man, I could do dope reviews too. Like, I know a thing or two. So I was making videos back in the day and I had like a flight school YouTube channel. And then I didn't know about the whole monetization aspect. And I got my channel demonetized because I was clicking on ads and it thought I was spamming it. So you know how like basically if you're like clicking on your own ads, but I didn't understand how the payout worked. So I had kept clicking on ads and then I had made like 17 cent from my ads. <laughs> over like a couple of days or something. And then from that, it got my whole channel banned. And I was like, bro, what did I just do? Literally threw everything down the drain. They would not reapprove me. I tried like three times. And from then it was just like, I'm not even going to do YouTube, bro. Like I'm done with this. I'm tired of keep trying this. Not even thinking like, maybe I could start a new channel because I had already had gained a base of audience through that. So then when I got out of college, I was literally walking out the gym and I was like, bro, I really like making videos. Like I'm so interested in movies. I'm interested in all this stuff. Like I'm going to just do it. Like, cause whenever I'm interested in something, like I got to at least try it. Cause I can't live my life 10 years from now and be like, bro, I should have tried that. Like, why didn't I do it? No, I'm going to just try it. And then if I don't like it or it doesn't work, at least I know I put my best foot forward. I gave it an effort and then I can move on, but I can't move on if I'm just thinking about it all the time and not doing it. So I just said, F it. I'm about to just make a channel. So I made a channel and then it just all began. Like there were so many directions you could go with the YouTube channel. And I was like, sneakers is most dominant for me. So it makes sense. And then that's kind of where it went. And then from there, it was like, I wanted to share sneakers, but put people on to like, you could buy shoes and do all these things, but let that leverage you to put you in a better place in life, not just have all the cool sneakers and look cool on Instagram or whatever it may be. Because yeah, I post all these pictures of shoes and do all this stuff. 
but that's not my angle. Like, I don't care. Like somebody else may see that because I'm allowing to them to see that side of me. But at the same time, you know, if you follow my Instagram story or something like that, now you're going to see me like, Hey, what is this? What's the definition of that word? How do you get into this point? What do you do that for financial side and real life things? You know, that's the most important things to me. So starting that second channel was literally an accident. <laughs> and then a video popped off by accident and got like a one point something million views, like when I went to a wrestling match and it started getting subscribers. So I was like, okay, now I got subscribers. The channel's monetized. Let's convert this channel into something that's more productive and educational to help people like me, especially because I always want to help my young 16 year old self. How can I help myself 10 years ago or whatever be better when they get to my age? And I think that's a tremendous effort, first of all, to come back to YouTube, because as someone who's tried YouTube in the past and was lucky enough to get at that time during, you know, what we'll call the original sneaker content when people were still reviewing in some stations, they were reviewing unauthentics or unauthorized pairs when it was just kind of more for the fun of it. Yeah. It's a lot of work and people don't understand how much work goes into the back end of a eight or 10 minute video. And then to get your channel demonetized and finally come back and say, this is what I'm going to try out. And then I think the second channel may be smaller in subscriber count at the moment, but I think that niche is there and teaching your 16-year-old self in some regards, I think that's tremendously valuable. I really enjoy sneakers as a hobby and a passion, but the idea that you're putting content out there that may teach someone one aspect of real estate or finance that changes their life and changes the next generation is phenomenal. And so I have to ask, in terms of what you know about YouTube now, as opposed to when you started, we'll say the DNA show, you know, two or three years ago, is there anything that you would do different? I think the biggest leap that I took was in October last year. And I said, I kept seeing this advertisement and it's like this, this event called Vid Summit. And I'm like, you know, I just see all these things, these conferences, and they just sell you a bunch of bullshit and a bunch of lies and you just pay for nothing to go there. You know, I just don't know. But like there, there's going to be so many dope creators that I like to watch and they're going to be there speaking on keynotes and stuff. I kind of want to go. So I was like, you know what? Like I said, I can't live my life thinking like what would have happened if I would have went? And I just said, F it. I'm buying a ticket and I went. I literally flew out there like super last minute, a couple days before, bought the ticket, flew out had an Airbnb right down the street, went to the conference. It was a three-day thing. And it's literally all about algorithm, content, structure, strategy, thumbnails, titles, podcasts, you name it, content creation in general, but especially heavily around video, but building a business and a brand around it too, and why all these people are successful. And I literally walked out with a notebook full of notes that I literally refer to today, and then connections that I have made like one of my friends, she was a speaker there. She had 400,000 subscribers. She just hit a million, no wow. lie, today. Like I actually just seen it on her Instagram. She hit a million subscribers today. She was at 400,000 eight months ago. She's got the sauce. She understands what to do. So when they talk to me, I'm soaking up everything I can get from those people and I'm just taking it all in. So I think the most important thing is literally like, if you think it might help you, just, just try it. Ask those people. Be willing to ask for help and get it. Like I was saying, put that energy out there because I'm telling you, somebody's going to want to help you if they see you really care about it. It seems to be a, a subliminal common denominator so far is that in your experience, you've been 
keeping an open mind and creating that network and asking for help and understanding the the knowledge coming back to you from when you first started your business and your your flight school and your friends are saying, hey, can I buy those? And you clicked and said, maybe they do want to buy this stuff. And you went to VidCon with an open mind. I'm sure a lot of people went there and didn't leave with anything because they were so close-minded and they didn't understand there's not a one-step thing to get to. 50,000 subscribers or 100,000. It takes a lot of work to analyze that data and understand your voice and what you're creating. And so coming back from that experience and making those connections, how does it feel? We talked before the show about where we went to college, a very small town. 70,000 people is a ton of people. How does that feel personally to know that your subscriber base is larger than some towns or some portions of uh, states, how does that not change your content or inflate an ego of some regards as you see those numbers rise? The biggest thing, it makes me so happy because I know that I'm able to help more people. That's the biggest thing. Like I get so many DMs, like the DMs each month just increase. If it wasn't for this video, I wouldn't have known about this or you saved me from getting scammed or I made extra money because I learned this from you. And I'm like, bro, this is so dope. Like the vision is happening. It's real. Like the more people that we're reaching is there. So now it's like, I'm not saying I'm not appreciative of the people that I have, but I'm also like, yo, we're about to get a million subscribers. Like I ain't playing no games. Like we're going to push for it and I'm going to try. I ain't going to just be like, I'm here to get a hundred thousand. Like, nah, we're going to get a million and then we're going to push to 10 million. Like that's the goal. Like we're going to have a whole army of people that's just out here being great. Like that's all I want. Cause I've literally had people follow me on Instagram for years. And then next thing you know, they text me and be like, bro, everything that you've been posting on your story is the reason why I was able to buy my first house. And I was like, what? Like, I'm literally just, I'm thinking out loud. But because I'm thinking out loud, I'm putting that same energy and helping other people. Because I'm thinking like, oh, if it's new to me, like maybe somebody else already knew it or maybe they didn't. I don't know. Well, we'll see. And then I'll just post it. And then some people didn't know. So now that they didn't know, now they know. I mean, it's a it's a phenomenal thing to understand a kid from Portland has the ability to speak and help others get to the position they're in. No one told you that when you started YouTube. And so in the same regards of missing aspects of certain topics in life, how or why do you think there's a a disconnect between financial literacy and the sneaker community? Because as we mentioned at the top of the podcast, there's a lot of things that intersect when someone's buying a $200 or $300 pair of shoes every other weekend or every weekend, but doesn't understand the financial aspect and the avenues that are available, where do you think that disconnect is created? It's very relative towards social media in general, right? When it comes to girls want to look like Kylie Jenner or have the whatever, but they're not realizing that the photos are photoshopped and their bodies don't look like that. And people got different financial situations where you got somebody that's then inherited money and bought a bunch of shoes and now they got a crazy shoe collection they're popping on Instagram or you know they just have a higher paying job or they prioritize sneakers over other things in life and still live in an apartment but have thousands of shoes there's so many different factors to all these people's collections and I don't knock anybody's collection or anybody's stuff because everybody's you get it how you live right and this is how I'm getting it and this is how I live but I know that people want to have this glorified sneaker collection, want to have all these things. And it's like, bro, you got to pay attention to the big picture. Like, how can you create something that will fund your sneaker collection, 
that will pay for you to get all the shoes that you want. So then they're essentially free. It's passive income, buying stuff that also rises in value, like particular sneakers that you know, if I buy it now, it's going to be worth this later. And because of that, I could potentially sell it and buy three more pairs of these, do the same thing, rinse and repeat and grow my collection or use it as a nest egg to now I got a $80,000 collection, $150,000 collection, whatever it may be. Because for me, it was like, when I bought my first two houses, I had the mindset of like, I'm going to grow this collection. I'm going to flip this money that I literally, I never had a nine to five. I've never had a job, literally been flipping cakes my whole life, right? I'm going to take this money and then I'm going to build this huge nest egg of sneakers and I'm going to shell it all off. As soon as I get out of college, shelled off $80,000 worth of shoes, which was like 400 and something pair or under, it was around like 400 pairs. And I bought two houses immediately, same month, bought two houses, graduated, went to the NFL combine, did it all within like a 35 day span. And I already knew like, I'm going to work on all these things at the same time, which was the whole multitasking thing. But I was just so focused on the big picture. Let me leverage these sneakers for something bigger in life. So then I can, I don't know if I want to say flex my houses, but that's my like, that's what I really want. And people got to see the big picture and just not worry about like every release because there's so many releases. You're going to miss some. You're going to get some. You're going to hit. You're going to lose. It doesn't matter. Like there's the, the shoes ain't going to stop. The company ain't going to stop making shoes. They're going to just keep trapping you into buying all this stuff. So let let you take advantage of the company and get all the right shoes and then use that to leverage your life. Crushed it. I mean, fundamentally, if you look at sneaker culture and the amount of research that individuals like ourselves have put into a single release and understanding how much is it going to cost? Where is it releasing? When's it releasing? Uh, what's the market look like? What's the hype look like? You know, I personally don't purposely go out to resell shoes. I buy what I like, very similar to what you do. And, but that is the same principle and fundamentals of, in some regards, a very watered down portion of you know, real estate or stock investments is. All of that research and those hours you put in to get that pair of Travis Scott one highs or Travis Scott fours or the Dior's or the Grateful Dead's and doing all these different raffles and understanding where they're going to be is the same regards and a fundamental standpoint to what happens in real estate and stocks and those passive income sources that you can go after. And so, DJ, I, I think you've laid it out very well so far. Recently, you've decided to step up your game and put more on game and your secrets and how you've managed not to work a nine to five, utilize something you enjoy to make an income stream and launch Hobby to Hustle. How did that come about and how long have you been thinking about it? Now it's at the point where it's like, I need to just create something that can answer all the questions because I thought by making a YouTube channel, they would have all the answers on there, but then they don't know where each video are and they don't know what to look for because they don't know. So if I create a course step-by-step step, in order, how to buy, lo local market, online market, how to sell, networking, bulk deals, building your collection, using this investment, setting up these different savings accounts, getting the right stuff set up. If I put it in order and set it all out, give you a template and let, let me hold your hand through the process, now they know what to look for and they know where to go. Because at the end of each week, there's an assignment that says, this is what you need to do. Do these things this week. It'll put you in a place that you're set up for next week's you know, assignments and things to go. And then you go through and you're like, oh, wow, because I did this, now I understand why this makes sense and this and that. 
people have been messaging me like, bro, I didn't realize how much my collection was until you told me what to do on this. And I'm like, exactly. Now you can figure out what to do with your money and look at it as an, a savings account. Just look at it as a savings account instead of a sneaker collection. And during this process of creating Hobby Dust, what was it like thinking of how to structure your course and put together certain elements in your perspective, all this information you have? What was that process like of just creating it and figuring out the best streamlined way to present this information? The people that I met at the at Vid Summit were the ones that actually gave me the tip to, hey, you should create a course and you should do this because I think you have so much value to give. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll try it out. We'll see how it goes. And it actually started doing pretty well at the beginning. I was like, okay, this is dope. And with that creative process at the beginning, I said, well, I've been creating content that low key sometimes goes over people's heads. Because I think that everybody's on the same, I'm not saying I'm on the highest level or nothing like that, but I'm, I think that everybody knows what I know, right? But then I forget, they don't because they're a beginner and they want to learn and they want to understand these things. And they were at my 16-year-old, my 18-year-old self stage point and mindset. And that could be any age, but you know, if they're new to the game, they'll only be doing it for a couple of years. I'm pretty sure I would know some more things if I've been doing it for 15 years and they've been doing it for two. So let me treat it like it's structured for a beginner, a newbie. And then let me put things in there as well for people that are more advanced. But first, I need to fully lay out the entire thing for a beginner, and then I'll add elements to it and then tell them in the course, once you get to this point, refer back to this section once you're ready for this. And then it'll make more sense. But I want you to see this section so you understand where you're trying to go. And then that way, the new people can have an understanding of you know what's going on and just all the general stuff. And then the more experienced people that are already kind of leveled up can take those bigger steps and everybody can see the vision together. And then I put them everybody in a Facebook group. So once you get in the course, there's a private Facebook group. Now everybody can chat and mingle in there as well. So now my network is your network. We all get to work together. You know what I'm saying? You got to plug on some shoes. You want to help somebody else out or whatever. Now we can all talk in this group and this is exclusively for us. It's tremendous that you've used all this through the common medium of sneakers to build that up and give so much experience and tips and helpful areas of guidance to those who only know sneakers maybe and may have been interested in providing that personal touch. I mean, it's exemplary that you're responding to direct messages when you have anyone over 10 or 15,000 followers on social media that's a lot of potential DMs and that you're taking the time to answer them, even though four of them could be the same question in a row stands out. And I think that's why people translate over to enjoying you know, the DNA show and looking forward to utilizing Hobby to Hustle in their real lives. So DJ, what's your, without giving away too much of the course, what was your favorite portion to implement in Hobby to Hustle? Well, me, I love sneaker collection first, because like I said, I'm a collector I was, a, I was a hobby first and then it became a hustle. So whenever I'm like talking about the sneaker collection, how to organize it, how to clean it, how to preserve your sneakers so that they last longer and hold higher values and don't crumble, all these different things, like that stuff is just the dopest thing to me because only experience can tell you those things. You you just don't know those things if, if you haven't done those type of things before. So for me, that's always like my favorite part, just like seeing people's collections grow and and them tracking their inventory of their shoe collection and seeing what everything is worth and where they stand. I think that's just a really dope thing for myself and other people. Because I got to do the same thing myself. 
I got to every six months, every three months, whatever, or when I'm ready to make a new financial decision, I got to go in my room. I got to look at every single sneaker. I got to reevaluate. Okay, what's worth what? What has gone up in value? Okay, is it worth me keeping it? Is it at its peak value? Uh, Can I get more money if I take this and sell it and buy an ETF or use it in a real estate investment? Or what's my return on that investment? Or is this sneaker going to go up more? You know, or should I sell these shoes first because they're just new? Like, so you have to think about all these different things. But that's why I kind of try to give the people the understanding of the big picture in each section of like, worry about the nest egg, worry about the big picture, try to set yourself up to get that house, to get that thing that's going to get you more passive income. As you talk about others growing their collection, I have to ask in terms of growth for you, DJ, what's next? So for me, like I said, I bought the two houses a couple of years ago. I've just been trying to get the channel off the ground, trying to do other things. And then I got, you know, everything's been covered with, I rent out both the houses, do Airbnb. So I basically live for free. Sometimes I'm, I'm essentially getting paid to live in my house uh, based on everything, but it's, it's a good situation. It, it frees me up so much. So I get to work on all the things I love and I get to be around my parents. I get to help out whatever, whatever they need. Give me a call. I made sure I bought my house right by my parents' house so I could be there when they get older. So I, you know what I'm saying? I just want to be around my family. All that stuff is the most important to me. But the reason why I'm working so hard to build this empire or whatever you want to call it is because I want to be able to take care of my kids one day, care of my future family one day. So I just got a foreclosure uh, last week. And this will be this actually is my third house now. It was a great deal. I'm going to break it all down on my YouTube, on my second YouTube channel. We're going to fully remodel the entire house, landscape, you name it, do everything. And everybody's going to get to watch the whole process. I'm going to break down the numbers. I'm going to show you shopping. I'm going to go through and show you the remodel work and everything. So that way people can get a taste of it and see like, oh, this ain't HGTV. This is DJ from the streets and he's still showing you how to do it. And it makes the sound and feel more realistic and obtainable for an average Joe. I look forward to that series very much. I think it's going to be very informative to myself, you know, as someone who's starting to look at the housing market and understanding some of those moves and even the foreclosure process is completely something I've never looked into. So learning there is going to be phenomenal. And so DJs, I'm going to ask you some quick questions, some yes or no's, either or, just some fun stuff uh, and get your responses. So first question, do you prefer player exclusives or sneaker collaborations? Mm, I'm going to still go with PEs. I think I'm going to go with PEs, but it's, it's, it's a tough one. I'm going to just say PEs. I'm going to stay with PEs. I respect that one. Do you keep the original box or do you do drop front slash, you know, a showcase box? I have both. I keep the boxes and I use the display cases for display. Low tops or high tops? High tops. Depending on the shoe. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the majority of my shoes, like all original Jordans are pretty much high tops. So we're just going to say high tops. I know you're a football guy. Deion Sanders or Jerry Rice? Jerry Rice. I'm a receiver, baby. (laughs) <laughs> I love to hear it. Right before the last question here, as a boxing fan myself, of the heavyweight division, we look at the big three, right? We look at the Gypsy King, Tyson Fury, uh-huh. the bronze bomber and Deontay Wilder, and the humble the humble guy overseas and Anthony, Anthony Joshua. Who's your top dog? Bro, uh, you know I went to both of the fights. Yeah. I still, I, I got to rock with my dog, Deontay, bro. I got to rock with him. <laughs> I can't can't just leave him high and dry because he lost. You know what I'm saying? If I was with him from the get-go, I can't leave him now. So I'm still Bronze Bomber all day, and it is what it is. 
And if anybody want to see me about it, I don't care because I went to the fights and I've seen it all live. And I'm telling you right now, it just wasn't right, bro. I don't know what happened in that second fight. It just didn't make no sense. Till this day, I, I want to see a bronze bomber, Anthony Joshua, rumble in the jungle in Africa. I mean, I'm looking forward to this third match between Fury and Wilder to see what happens. Because I do agree that that second match, maybe, maybe Wilder took a little bit off and wasn't expecting Fury to come back where he was, but we'll find. And he was heavier than he ever been. We'll see how this the next 12 rounds go for them. Last question here for you, DJ. What is the biggest positive and or negative change you've seen in the sneaker community since you started collecting? When I first started, it was all about the passion for sneakers, the community, all the stuff. So it was all about like finding somebody in your same shoe size and meeting all the same people and like trading and like, oh, I got these. I got two pair of those. All oh, you need those. I need, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was just all about like just hooking people up, you know, charging just a little bit extra to grab a pair for somebody. And just it wasn't like crazy. Like, obviously, you attack somebody you didn't know. But like if it was like your homies and everything, that's where everybody got like their crazy deals and the dope pickups. Now it's like, even if you're trying to hit your homie, they'd be like, yeah, bro, I'm still going to need like a thousand dollars for those. And I'm like, damn, <laughs> it's just a whole new world. Uh, it's obviously all about the money. It's all about the hype. People don't even know what they're looking at. They don't know the story behind it. They don't know nothing. They don't know much besides it's worth this. And they have to refer to StockX every single time just to find the value of the shoe because they don't even be knowing. Like they, they'd be walking in the stores with StockX open, searching everything up because they're trying to figure out what the damn name of the shoe is and what it could potentially be worth. It's just, I don't know. I feel like people is more interested and more passionate in the sense of the care and love for the sneaker and the story and everything behind it. Now it's like, who can make the most money? Who can post the best picture with 700 pairs in one photo and make $3 per pair when they resell them and, and have a $400 profit like off of 100 pairs of shoes? Like, that's all a waste of time for me. I don't know. To me... It's a waste of time, but people's eating, so I ain't mad at them doing anything. For me, I don't, know. I don't have the time for that. Right, yeah, I definitely think there's an inverse relationship as we've seen this bubble grow and more people come into the, the quote-unquote culture, but we've seen knowledge and passion drop drastically. I mean, that StockX moment you talked about, about people opening up the stores, I see it all, all the time when I'm checking out the MLK outlet um, in Portland, and you you know, they have the best finds in the city for the most part. And you'll see yeah, cats in there with just strictly stock X or goat to try to understand what the shoe is or what it's about. And so we've made it through the gauntlet here, DJ. Uh, where can the people find you, your content, you know, hobby to hustle, all that? Let them know. So DJ underscore sneakerhead. I tried to make that on Instagram and Twitter, pretty much the same. And then DNA, DNA show. Uh, you can find that on IG, YouTube, everything like that. And then my YouTube, I think it's just my name, Darren Willingham Jr. for the second channel. I think I got that linked on the first. I think everything should be pretty much easy to find. I'm DJ. I'm the sneaker guy. You can call me by my first name if you want, but I might not answer to you if, if I don't know you like that. And I was fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I appreciate your time. I think there's a ton of gems happening through this podcast. I'm going to have to re-listen a couple times to pick up on those. I hope you guys enjoyed it. As DJ mentioned, all of his stuff will be in the show notes below. I thank for your time, DJ. I thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. And so there you have it. Special thanks to DJ for hopping on the show today and providing such knowledge in relation to sneakers, real estate, finance, and how your sneaker collection is a much more value than you anticipated. As I mentioned, 
all of the areas to find DJ are in the show notes below. So go show him some love. If you did enjoy today's episode, go ahead and leave a rating, subscribe on your favorite platform, and we'll catch you next week.